0: Um, welcome here at Taproot. My name is Leslie and I'm going to be reading the word for us today. When I'm done, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and together as a church we will prayerfully respond with speak Lord your servants here. The reading today is from Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated while I pray. Oh God, we are so grateful we can come and worship you in this place. I still think of when we didn't have a church and, and how we've moved forward because of your gifts help us to keep gratitude uppermost in our minds there's a lot of problems in the world and in families and without gratitude none of it makes sense i don't know the prayers mike needs today to do this sermon it's a delicate subject um But you can give him the courage to address it the way you want it done. And uh, help us all to learn what you would have us here today. In your holy name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Leslie. All right. How are we, family? Good. (laughs) Good, good. Um, Well, good to be here this morning Uh, If you're a guest with us, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here in Tapper Church, and get to open up scripture together and uh, continue navigating this text. So um, as I said, we're doing things a little different this morning. I really don't want to preach a ton for the first time ever in my life. Um, But as as Leslie mentioned, um, the plan this morning was and is kind of to talk about sex within the context of marriage, Uh, and as she prayed, that's an incredibly delicate topic. Agreed? Yeah. Um, And so I'm asking for your help in this, and so that's why we're wanting to have the Q&R. So... This is one of those areas where the church, we'll talk about this, but the church has just not really wanted to kind of like venture like headfirst into the topic and have these discussions. And so I just, I'm inviting those this morning. And so um, really it's just, it's a kind of a comfort space for me. rather than kind of trying to come up with stuff, I would much rather answer your questions. Uh, So you're not like, you're not overwhelming me, you're not like embarrassing me. I would love any questions that you might have regarding whether it be sex or marriage or divorce or singleness or or anything within that. Um, I've already peaked the, the first question thus far was about parents and children and if that's fantastic. Like, let's get into any questions that we possibly can this morning. Um, keeping in mind, it's a, it's a question and response. So, you know, I'm going to do my best to respond as biblically, humbly, and helpfully as possible. Uh, but the hope is that this would just kind of spur on more conversations for us. Because again, this is just a space uh, where we as followers of Jesus need to learn how to have conversations. I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble is uh, there's, there's loads of of shame and guilt around sex and sexuality, and so um, we just avoid the conversation, and it's a conversation that we need to really learn how to step into um, with, with grace, abundant grace, as, as best as we possibly can. Um, so the, the, the QR code is right there. Uh, go ahead and go to that. If you have questions based on previous sermons, uh, that is fantastic as well. Remember, this is also interactive, so if there's a question that you're like, ooh, that's a really good one, you can like it, and you can vote it up. So, the, the top questions get put to the top, and um, we'll go from there. So, I'm, I'm excited. I'm nervous. My phone is black right now. I can't wait to open it and see what this, what's there. <laughs> All right. So, how are we doing? Good? Thanks, Corey. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, so we've been working through Matthew 19, 1 through 12 for uh, a few weeks now, and I hope, I pray, I trust uh, that it's been helpful for us. And so this morning what we're, we're doing is we're just simply circling back around to what Jesus has to say um, regarding marriage. And it's kind of where we began was looking at Jesus' uh, vision, picture, invitation to what marriage looks like. Uh, but then within that, we've also looked at the topics of divorce. Will did a, a great job talking about divorce a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we um, hovered a bit around the topic of, of singleness. Um, and most people noticed that uh, we didn't talk about just singleness specifically per se, but wanted to just have this understanding that um, singleness isn't like a, a less than space for humans. Right? But it's a, a, a valid, legitimate way of living a, a flourishing life as a follower of Jesus, just as being married. Uh, and the reality of singleness and the reality of marriage is that uh, both have their gifts, both have their joyful experiences. Uh, But both also come with their own sets of of complications and and challenges and so on and so forth. So scripturally, we don't see one being above the other necessarily, although it was definitely unique uh, within the the Christian church to to lift up singleness the way that Paul did, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, or the way that Jesus does here in our text in Matthew 19. Um, And so... What we want to do then is circle back around to marriage and look specifically for a little bit, um, not, not, not necessarily at sex in particular, but the cultivation of, of a flourishing marriage. Right, we, we've talked a lot about how, how marriage is, is hard right, for anyone who's been married for longer than your honeymoon, right? You know that, <laughs> Even even most of you probably had your first argument on your honeymoon, right? You all can think back to that experience, right? You're like, wow, it got hard fast. <laughs> like, um, and so that's, the, that's the, the, the reality that I really want us to kind of work through is what does it look like then for us to begin cultivating uh, and, and practicing marriage in a way that uh, is flourishing for us? Um, one of my... One of my favorite books on marriage, we referenced it last week, is Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. And uh, he, says, he says this about marriage. This is one of my, one of my favorite paragraphs and statements on marriage. Um, he says this, quote, I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage. At weddings, in church, and in Sunday school, much of what I've heard on the subject has as much depth as a Hallmark card. While marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious, but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats, and exhausting victories. No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Therefore... It is not surprising that the only phrase in Paul's famous discourse on marriage in Ephesians 5 that many couples can relate to is verse 32. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. Sometimes you fall into bed after a long, hard day of trying to understand each other, and you can only sigh, this is all a profound mystery. And at times, your marriage seems to be an unsolvable puzzle, a maze in which you feel lost. And yet, there's no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. And that is why, like knowing God himself, coming to know and love your spouse is difficult and painful, yet rewarding and wondrous. Uh, and Tim Keller, you know, in, in, in that book, The Meaning of Marriage, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it, um, it's based off a, a sermon series that he preached in New York City to a crowd of primarily single people. And, and so he does it just a beautiful job of just capturing the, the fullness of, of the human experience in that, which often uh, it, it leads to or ends up in marriage in some way, shape, or form. And so what I think he does though with this quote is, is he just he articulates well the reality of marriage. Right? Just the, the reality that it is hard work, it is mysterious, it is it's anything but easy. And and most days we we wind up just kind of scratching our heads, wondering, man, does it ever get easier? But <clears throat> What I think it's important for us to understand is that our commitment to that hard work is what cultivates the potential for incredible intimacy in the context of marriage. And I, I think that's I think that's what's often missed at the at the beginning of marriage. You know. Trying to think through just the demographic of, of Taproot and, um, you know, we have a good mixture of people, you know, people have been married for you know, 30, 40 years, people have been married for uh, six months, right? Uh, and I, I, one of the things that continues to kind of come back is just this reiteration of, man, it's a lot more difficult than what we thought it would be, right? And it's a, it's a real challenge because um, in pre-marriage counseling or coaching or whatever you want to call it, it's a... It's so fun to sit with young couples, right? I mean, it's, it really is fun, and it's, it's really hard because you don't want to just crush them <laughs> right away <laughs> in their expectations, but then at the same time, we, we want to learn, like, how do we navigate what realistic expectations are? And, and I think that if we could just put out a realistic expectation, it would be that it is hard work. But it's through that hard work that, that a deep love and intimacy is, is cultivated. And, and furthermore, I would say that it's this hard work uh, within which sexual intimacy in particular is cultivated and expressed. Um, so, as I said, there are, there are so many directions that we could have possibly taken our time this morning. Um, but I wanna, what I want to do is I want to try to communicate in such a way that just kind of sparks our thoughts and enables some questions. Um, I'll be honest, too, the other reason that we wanted to do this is because we had an elders intensive on Thursday and Friday um, that took up loads of space and brain energy. And all of the elders, we were like, what should we, how are we, you know, what's, what's going to happen this Sunday? I was like, I think we should do a Q&R. And we thought that would be a great idea. So that's, here we are. So uh, just a few points here for us to work through. Uh, number one, the meaning of hold fast and become one flesh. What, what is Jesus saying when he says, This statement, let's look again at the text there. Verse three, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined Together let not man separate. Um, So I think this is where we need to just begin our time because obviously it's where Jesus begins his time in answering the question uh, that the religious people come and ask him. And and what we have here is is this creation-based vision that God has given for marriage, that it is a one flesh covenant whereby one man and one woman commit themselves together for a lifetime. That's what Jesus is defining. That's what Jesus is describing. Uh, the term for hold fast is the old fashioned word for? Anyone? Cleave. Right? Cleave. Uh, cle- like uh, cleaving, cleaving to one another. It's, it's an interesting word, it's, from the, it's in the King James. Uh, it's not very helpful, though, I've found. If, um, right, if we've grown up in church, I think we're probably familiar with that phrase, leave and cleave, right? Anyone, we've heard that. Uh, the problem it, is that with this word, it has two contradictory meanings. Right? Uh, so on, on the one hand, you have a word here that means to stick together. But on the other hand, you have a word that also means to split apart, right? Think, think the term meat cleaver," <laughs> right? What, that's that sounds forceful and not helpful for marriage. <laughs> and so, it's, a, it's a, to be honest, I'm not sure why the term was used back in the 1500s or when the King James came out. Thus, though, most modern translations use the phrase um, "hold fast." Hold fast. So the ESV uses the phrase to hold fast, both in Genesis chapter 2 and here in Matthew chapter 19. I like what the CSB uses. In Genesis, the CSB uses the word, no, actually, I think it's in, in, uh, in Matthew, it uses the word join. And then in Genesis, it uses the word bond. Um, and so I think that those are, are better, better ways of articulating what Jesus is getting at here. And so what the term does then mean for us is to stick together. That's what the, the, the actual Greek word means, is to stick together. It's the word kalao, I think is how it's said. And it just, it means to join or to become a part of. Um, it's, it's kind of where the, the glue idea comes from. Uh, um, imagine that, again, for those of us who kind of experienced church for a long time, you remember sitting in, in youth group or being a youth leader and using this kind of, picture, right? Where if you have sex before marriage, what you're doing is you're gluing yourself to someone else. And then what happens when that breaks apart is you kind of rip it apart and a part of yourself is left and, and all of those kinds of things, right? That's, that's where this kind of comes from. Uh, that's not a great way to necessarily think about what's being said, though. Um, however, at the same time, you do have just this very clear meaning of to join or, or to, to bind together or to become a part of. Uh, the word is also used in places like Acts chapter five. It's it's in it's used in reference to people joining a revolt, like as like, like a military term. Uh, it's also used in Acts chapter eight verse twenty nine when when Philip is told to join the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the Spirit says to join uh, the carriage, and, and he's not supposed to bind himself to the carriage, but rather he's to bind himself specifically to the person in the carriage the same, same word that's being used there, as in what Jesus is using here, and as in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul references this verse as well. Um, and so what's important to know, though, is that the emphasis of this word then, the idea of holding fast and becoming one flesh, is not on the sexual act, but rather on the interpersonal relations. Um, the point that Jesus is teaching us <clears throat> in regards to becoming one flesh is that it is encompassing of the whole human. It's encompassing of the, the whole person. It's not just the act of sexual intercourse. It is a complete giving of oneself to another. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But that's, that's the, the simplest picture that we can get when Jesus says to, to hold fast and to become one flesh. is this, this whole giving of oneself, yourself, to your spouse. This is the ideal picture of marriage. It's one of mutual self-giving. The challenge with this, though, is that it is a reality that has to be cultivated. And, and we can just ask it like this, how many of you have found it easy to give of yourself? Not a, not a single one of us. right? And, and, and I think that's interesting. When we think of how marriage works, I, I think, generally speaking, in, in the beginning, there's lots of feelings, lots of emotions, a lot of good, high experiences that have the ability to carry us for a little bit. For a little bit. But not for long. Right? And so if we're going to... to, to be able to give of ourselves in the context of marriage the way that we're intended to, that's going to take a lot of work. And that's the the second point that I want to address here is the cultivation of the marriage bond. So Jesus makes clear for us this picture, this ideal picture of mutual self-giving, most of which we've we've er, or which I would say all of us have experienced as broken in some way, shape, or form, Right? Um, But then, how then do we cultivate this marriage bond? So it's of utmost importance to understand that intimacy in marriage is, number one, not just sexual, and number two, must be cultivated. So in other words, a flourishing experience of sex in marriage is not something that is owed to the other. It's not something that is owed to the other. Rather, it is given and it is born out of an entire way of living your lives with one another. Okay. Now, I, I think that this reality is rooted in what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, so, If you just flip really quick over to 1 Corinthians 7 and listen to what Paul says. Paul says this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, Paul's referring to a previous letter from the Corinthian church. He says, It is good, or the Corinthians wrote this. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So if you could think of what the Corinthians are doing, it's very similar to what the Pharisees did to Jesus. Right? Jesus presents this incredibly high view of marriage, and the Pharisees or the disciples respond with, like, Whoa, if it's if it's that difficult, that challenging, it's just better for us to not even enter into marriage. And so I think we can assume that Paul is carrying over the teaching of Jesus to the church in Corinth, which, which by the way, Corinth was an incredibly sexually promiscuous culture. Like, you know, our, our, our culture world is, is sexually saturated. There, there's access to, to, to porn at every turn. But imagine Corinth, like, you're, you're not going to run into internet issues. You're going to run into people actually having sex on the street corners. Like, just there. Like, can you imagine taking your kids for a walk with that happening? Right? So it, it, I, I think we tend to um, think of Greco-Roman society in some way, shape or form, as like just more pure or morally upright than ours, and it just wasn't. And so Paul is trying to give a vision for marriage that's rooted in Genesis. And then the response of the Corinthians is, well, it's just better for us to not even have sexual relations with a woman. But then what Paul says is this, is, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now listen to this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. We'll stop there. This was, this was absolutely revolutionary. Because understand that, that Paul's writing into a culture in which women didn't have any rights. Or authority over anything. And that, that, that might be an overstatement. That's a preacher problem, sorry. Their rights were very limited. Let's just put it like that, okay? And so for, for Paul, and, and, and Jesus did the same thing, but for Paul, what he's doing is he's, he's elevating the rights of men and women to an equal place. And he's saying that within the context of marriage, the picture that we have is, is, is this giving of oneself to one another, A wife gives of herself to her husband and a husband gives of himself to his wife. And so you have this this picture of of mutuality and and respect and a desire for the other to flourish within the context of of a marriage. And Paul is speaking specifically in this text, in 1 Corinthians 7, about sex, but the picture is, is whole and complete as well. And that it goes beyond just the physical. Um, we'll get to that more in just a sec. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so how, how, then can we, how then can we begin to work this out? Um, one book that is really helpful is called Seven Principles That Make Marriage Work. I think that's what it's called. By John Gottman. Hey, John Gottman. Uh, if you just Amazon John Gottman, I'm pretty sure it will come up with that book first and foremost. And John Gottman's interesting. He's not a, he's not a, a Christian scholar, but he is a, a scholar who, who, who all, I mean, it's pretty conclusive that he's done like the best work on understanding what makes a marriage work. And it's, it's really Intriguing. Um, he did, he did studies in Seattle where he was able to, with kind of like, like upwards of 90% accuracy, determine if a couple was going to be getting a divorce. And so he just, through analyzing and studying the ways in which it, uh, couples interact with one another, he was able to, to come up with this research and, and uh, seven principles that make a marriage work. But one of the things that he emphasizes at the beginning of his book that I think we all need to grow an understanding of is emotional intelligence, If if we want to begin to cultivate this marriage bond, we need to learn how to mature in emotional intelligence. And this is what Gottman says. He says, quote, happily married couples aren't smarter, richer, or more psychologically astute than others. But in their, listen to this, in their day-to-day lives, they have hit upon a dynamic that keeps their negative thoughts and feelings about each other, which all couples have, from overwhelming their positive ones. Rather than creating a climate of disagreement and resistance, they embrace each other's needs. When addressing a partner's request, their motto tends to be a helpful yes and rather than a yes but. Now that, uh, that challenged me so deeply because I've been working through this a ton lately with my wife. I am learning more and more about myself and I love to argue and challenge things. And more and more recently, it's been that, like, we'll have, be in a conversation, and my response is very frequently, yes, but, and here's how I'm right. It doesn't work, just so you know. It doesn't cultivate anything fun. Anyways, this positive attitude not only, we, we're still doing really great, just so you know. <laughs> this positive attitude not only allows them to maintain, but also to increase the sense of romance, play, fun, adventure, and learning together that are at the heart of any long-lasting marriage, they have what is called an emotionally intelligent marriage. And so all that Gottman does here is he gets at the posture that is required for marriage to work and to last. And what we see is it's a posture of increasing self-awareness and curiosity for your spouse. And then within that, a humility that enables you to learn. And I think if we can embrace that reality, it will begin to go a long way for us. The issue is this, is that is work that you have to do as an individual. Okay? Like I, th- I think if, if, if we in, in our, our marriage is or in our singleness can learn that we have a lot of work to do as individuals, it will help us in relationships on the whole, so if, if, if we can begin to learn and understand our stories, if we can begin to learn and understand why we react the way that we do with always the same situations and circumstances, it will go a long way for us. And this is, this is what he's inviting us into, uh, is emotional intelligence. Another aspect, then, how we, in how we cultivate the bond of marriage is through comprehensive Intimacy. Now I think this is important because it tends to be that when we think of intimacy, we only think of sex, we, that we equate them as being the same thing. To be intimate is to be sexual. The problem is that intimacy is very complex, uh, and it goes far beyond the physical act of sexual intercourse. And in case you haven't experienced this, it looks a whole lot different in men and women. Uh, there is a, uh, a resource that I have appreciated in this regard. Uh, it's called The Six Pillars of Intimacy by a couple named Alyssa and Tony DeLorenzo. And what they have worked through, and in, in, in essentially they've, they've kind of developed a ministry that's focused on marriage, and they've developed this resource called The Six Pillars of Intimacy. And they've kind of uh, pinpointed six primary aspects of, of life that that help to cultivate a bigger picture of intimacy, and the six of them are this. Um, number one, emotional. So emotional intimacy is is just uh, the ability to enter into and have conversations with one another. Right? And, and and what they get at is that emotional intimacy is it's really the foundation for all other forms of intimacy, right? uh, and it's also the most difficult. It's very challenging. It's very challenging to be emotionally vulnerable with another person. And yet, this is this is foundational for us to have flourishing marriages and any any sort of flourishing relationship. We have to to learn how to enter into conversations where we're going to be vulnerable and share our our thoughts and our, our feelings and our experiences. And and to be able to receive those things. Right? Without answering, yeah, but. Because if, if our if our response when our spouse is trying to share their experience, their um their emotions, their feelings, if our response to them is yeah, but you're missing the point. And slowly but surely, by God's grace, I think I'm learning this. <laughs> trying so hard. So emotional intimacy, uh, number two, physical intimacy. Physical intimacy is not the same also as sexual intimacy. Physical intimacy is just learning how to, to lovingly touch one another. It might be holding hands. It might be putting your arm around your spouse. It might be just cuddling. It might be giving her or him a foot rub. It's just physical intimacy that doesn't have to be sexual.
0: Okay?
1: And that needs to be cultivated in our marriages, uh, and, and, and understanding that that looks different, right, for, for different spouses. Um, this is a, a sidebar, but you've all heard kind of the, the five love languages thing, right? Our tendency is to give the love language that we would like to most receive. Right? And so we need to, this is where we learn about our, our spouse in an effort to give what they would like to receive. Okay? So emotional, physical. Number three, spiritual, uh, this, is, this is getting to a space of being able to be on the same page spiritually as followers of Jesus, right? L- trying to, to learn from one another what each is experiencing with God, uh, trying to uh, be in scripture together, trying to, learning to be in prayer with one another. And I'll tell you, this is incredibly challenging. This is, this is, uh, Satan doesn't want us to pray together, Like, the enemy does not want our our marriages to be on the same page spiritually. The enemy would love more than anything to divide this space. And so you'll you'll notice that there is, when you try to enter into a space where you get to to read Scripture with your spouse or pray with your spouse, or even going to church with your spouse, how many of you have arguments on Sunday mornings? Yeah? I see lots of smiles. You're like, eh, it is difficult. Oh, it's difficult and requires so much, so much humility for us to enter into this space of spiritual intimacy. Number four, uh, financial intimacy. Uh, it tends to be that there, there's probably one person in the relationship who requires more security in regards to finances. And, and what I mean by that is not necessarily more money, but just more communication and, and more being on the same page. Okay? And so you have to discover and learn what does that look like in your marriage. It's an area of great weakness for me. I hate talking about finances. Recreational, recreational intimacy. This is just having fun with one another. Right? Learning how to, to laugh. And, and smile and play games. Again, this is really brutal. I'm really bad at playing games and having fun. <laughs> I love to laugh with my wife. Uh, a lot of people ask me, what do you do for fun? I'm like, oh, we work. We like to get stuff done. And maybe, and that, maybe that's okay. Uh, But probably it should be more than that. And so what does it look like to cultivate an experience in your marriage where there is space for fun and play with one another? And then the sixth is sexual intimacy. And I love how they place sexual intimacy last. Because I think we tend to try to gauge everything based off of our experience of sex in the context of marriage. Uh, and, and if that's the case, that's just that's the wrong starting point. Now, I think a healthy sexuality in marriage is going to come out of uh, cu- uh, cultivating these other areas. Right? And, and, and it doesn't all happen all at once. Just let's be clear. Like, you don't need to go home today and be like, all right, where do we need to up our game in these six areas? That will overwhelm you and probably lead to a fight and then some other, like, let's not do that, Okay? But it might be that you, you could analyze these things and say, well, here's, here's one spot that we could just kind of start working. Let's start working on emotional intimacy and just, and just having conversations with one another. What does it look like to, to sit down and, and set time aside so that we can uh, engage in, in meaningful communication? Or what does it look like for us to, to go for a walk and just hold hands for 30 minutes? That's, I mean, that's for you to, to work through. And, and, But I think that's just maybe a helpful space for us to begin thinking of how we can cultivate uh, the bond of marriage. Um, okay. Here, here's where I want to land this here. Uh, the embrace of the gift of sex, then. Now... I think that this is what the overall story of Scripture would, would want us to, to see, is that we as disciples need to come to a place of embracing the gift of, of sex and sexuality. Now, this is challenging because there are few places in our lives and in our experiences as humans where there is more weight, just heavy guilt and shame, right? Like, like I know that even just, even... Even mentioning that we might talk about sex or have questions about sex uh, just causes, for some of you, it just causes like anxiety to just bubble up to the surface. And, and you, you have to, to work through your experiences of, of pain and abuse and bad teaching and so on and so forth. So I understand uh, that when I say the embrace of the gift, some of you are like, shut up. <laughs> this is, I've not experienced this as a gift. And for that, I would love to just say I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that that is your experience. Um, and I, we don't want to downplay that. We don't want to ignore that. Um, but we do want to see that Jesus does redeem it. In, in some way. In some way. Um, now, earlier in the week, I sent out some questions to a group of people, our, our preaching cohort actually, in regards to the sermon, and they had some great insights. Uh, at the top of that, I think, was just this, uh, the expression of, uh, we've heard that sex is good, that's great, now what? Right? And, and so what comes from that then is just this reality that our experience is broken and convoluted, parents didn't talk about it, church said, don't have it until you're married and then Good luck. Like, how are we supposed to experience this supposedly amazing good gift, and how are we supposed to work through the brokenness? How are we supposed to work through what we didn't learn and probably should have learned? Well, just a few thoughts for us here. Uh, first, the church needs to talk about sex more. And I, when I say that, I, I, don't, I don't mean me on a Sunday morning, because that would just get really uncomfortable after a while. <laughs> I mean us, collectively. We, we need to come to a space of,
0: you
1: know, I do I don't necessarily want to say that we need to. It would, I think, be beneficial for us if we could come to a space of, of being more vulnerable with one another in regards to the topic of sex and sexuality, right? I, it would be beneficial for us if we could have these conversations. And here, here's kind of a thought that I've been wrestling with this, um, how, like, in, in maturely stepping into this conversation, how do we embrace the dignity of human sexuality rather than run from it? Okay. So here, here's just, I think, an example of how this is working itself out culturally. I think we would all agree that if we, if we go, you know, look at the world around us, just look at the, the Babylonian culture that we live in, and, and we just, you know, pull up a, a news site on a screen, we're probably going to see something about sexuality in some way, shape, or form. And I think we would all agree it's really jacked up. And and, It's at the very least, it's it's very confusing and confused, right? Can we agree? Our world's take on sex and sexuality is very confusing and confused. And, And it doesn't know how to have the conversation other than shaming, right? Here's the problem, though, is the church doesn't know how to either, And so until we can come to a place of like dignifying the goodness of human sexuality, I think we're going to have a hard time, truthfully speaking, into the cultural moment. Here's just an example of how this works itself out. Brace yourselves. For some, you have a hard time using anatomically correct terms, such as penis and vagina. Some of you don't even know how to handle that right now because it's Sunday morning. <laughs> You're like, wait, are we allowed to do that? But, but here's the thing, is that if we can't give dignity and value and worth to that which God has created, are we not just embracing another level of shame and guilt? around that which we're trying to say is good? There's no reason for us as as image bearers to shy away from the fact that God gave us these good parts to experience pleasure. And so how are we going to enter and have this conversation and dignify it in a way that actually honors and glorifies what God has done? I, I would love for us to begin having this conversation more. Oh man, see, I preach too all, all the time. Duh! <laughs> to my, uh, we started late. Let's just, well, let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two these conversations need to happen in the context of community. Uh, that was that, that was like the consistent theme that I saw over the last week as people answer these questions is they want to have these conversations in the context of community. So if someone in your community asks you questions about sex, don't be scared. Enter into it. Like engage it. And if you don't have answers, that's okay. You can say, I don't know. Let's go ask someone else who might know or might have more experience or whatever it might be, right? I think for and this is for singles and married. Guess what? Single people have questions about sex too. And, and it's okay for us to answer them. We don't have to be, we don't have to be like all weird, like, oh, well, you're not married yet, so I can't talk about that. Like, no, they probably know in some way, shape, or form. Like, let's just talk about it, okay? These conversations need to happen in the context of community. Uh, number three, we need to understand just as marriage isn't everything, sex isn't everything. Right, like so often, uh, Things get put in the wrong place. And so as with everything else in life, it needs to be sex, needs to be placed under the lordship of Jesus. If we, if we worship sex, we're always going to be disappointed. If, if that's where we're heading, if that's where we're going to give us our dignity, our value, our worth, our satisfaction, we will always be disappointed. Right? And so is Jesus on the throne of our lives when it comes to sex? I think is the question we need to ask there, and then finally, I just want to end with this, and I want to try to say this as carefully as possible. I want you, I want us to understand that sexual sin hasn't ruined us. Right? Your sexual sin, whatever it may be, whatever it is that you might be experiencing now, has not ruined you as a human. Right? Our, our Jesus. Is more powerful than that. He is he is bigger than that. Yes, sexual sin is serious. Yes, it will have impacts and, and ramifications in your life, but you are not permanently damaged by it. You are an image bearer. You're a son, a daughter, made to reflect our creator and to glorify our King. And so my hope for you is that regardless of where you may be, wherever the hurt is, um, that you would entrust that to Jesus. And, and know that over time, uh, there, is, there is absolutely space and healing that can be experienced. Uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't have like, specific answers for how that might work itself out right here, right now. Um, but I just, I just would encourage you that it is a, a journey that you can safely enter into because of the finished work of Jesus. Yeah. That's all I have. Let's, uh, let's go to QR. Oh man! Oh yes! You guys are so good. Look at that. There's a whole bunch of questions on here. All right. We'll see what we can do. I need a drink. Okay. Any tips? Any tips on how... Let's see. I think I can highlight this. Yep. Look at that. On how to talk, uh, talk to our kids about sex and the way the culture is changing and shifting around sexuality. Yes. Um... I mean first and foremost I would say talk um, I, 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 I mean yeah we have to just be willing to enter into the conversation I think also that we as parents have to learn we have to, we have to do the work of learning um, you know so for, for little kids there's a really good series of books Man, I wish I could remember what it's called right now The Story of Me yes that's it uh, it's a really helpful uh, series of books that kind of uh, has different levels. So it has a level for kids who are three to five uh, and to begin kind of introducing these topics to them and then kind of just steps up from there and enters into how to just have these conversations with our kiddos, uses anatomically correct terms. I, that would be, I think, of utmost importance when you're talking with your children. Don't be afraid to say penis and vagina. Uh, like, don't be afraid to help them to understand um, arousal. That, like, I think it, it tends to, there tends to be a, for whatever reason, well, I think it's because of fear. We get scared and then we want to shut down arousal. And then and then I think what the church has done for so long is it's just continued to try to like suppress this reality in humanity and then we get to marriage and we're like, I don't know how to make this work. Right? And so there's definitely a tension here that as parents we have to learn, we have to uh, prayerfully navigate, uh, I think, with ourselves and, and, and communicating with our spouse. Uh, it's gonna be different for each kid. Uh, each kid's gonna begin to show curiosity at different stages in their lives. Um, you know, so I, I had a, we had a child walk in, and, and here's another one. Let your kids know that you're open to the conversation. Like, make that reality known to them. And and then when they come and ask the question, enable that space to be a safe space. Like no, like for our kids, no question is off limits. Right. So we had you know we were like Abby and I were getting settled into to bed last night and we were really tired and one of our kids came in and asked us a question about sexuality, and it wasn't an easy question either. Like it was like I was I was, yeah I was like oh man why why that question like in my mind I had I had to wrestle to get to a place where I could maybe give a reasonable answer, but it, it turned out to be a really enjoyable time of, of having a conversation. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think that's... What I would say primarily there is don't be afraid to talk about sex. I would say talk about sex often as well with your kids. Uh, not, not in a weird way, you know, like, hey, we need to have a talk again once a week or something like that, like but just more like in the regular routine, day in and day out realities of your life, you know? So uh, it's kind of like, you know, if Abby and I are kissing or hugging closely in the kitchen, our kids see that. And if they, if they, if they try to make fun of it, um, we're okay with them making fun of it. But at the same time, we want them to understand that this is a good experience. And that's an, that's an opportunity to enter into some of those conversations with them. So yeah, I, I, I think... Being willing to have the conversations, not shying away from um, the realities. In regards to you know, the shifting culture around sexuality, that one, is, that one is really challenging. And so, as much as possible, we have to learn how to understand how God has designed things um, so that we can communicate that truth. I think also to not be fearful of what your kids might wind up wrestling through someday. Statistically, um, it is relatively normal, especially for um, females—females more than males—to wrestle with gender identity at some point in time in their lives. And so, I think if, as, as parents, if we can like prepare ourselves for that conversation, we can then enter into that in a way that's not like panicking and just like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening? This can't happen to us!" No, like. But but enter into that that winsomely, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things where you're probably you know, you're probably going to have a conversation with your kids, and you're like, wow, I wish that went better. You're going to learn, and then you're going to enter into it differently the next time. Um, so I, yeah, I think this is a space where we have to take the responsibility to learn as best as we can, uh, and then engage as best as we can in the conversation. Don't don't be don't be shy with it. It's a good question. Okay. Oh, you all are laughing. I haven't even read the question yet. You all are laughing. What? The latest? Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's a real humbinger. That one hasn't been voted up yet, so. (laughs) How do you address different expectations around sex in a marriage, some of which may be healthy and some may not be? Yeah. Again, this is, this is a space of conversation. And, and this, is a, this is a space of emotional intimacy. How, how can you, as a husband and wife, enter into and create a safe environment for you to be able to have these conversations? I, I think, uh, just as with, with kids, we tend to be fearful to talk about sex. We tend to be uh, scared to talk about sex with our spouse. And so that's probably a really good starting point, is if you can't, if you can't have the conversation with your spouse it's going to probably be really difficult to have the conversation with your kids. And so, um, yeah, the, and it might, it might be awkward, but it might be as simple as like sitting down with your spouse and saying, we need to talk about sex. And then, and then prayerfully entering into that so that your posture is not defensive. Now this is another space. I think um, when, with you know, some of which may be healthy and some may not be. Uh, I, this is a space within marriage that we need to understand that we we are to respect the other person and their desires and what they may desire and what they may not desire. So the word no is very important in marriage. I think that's a reality that's often been lost sight of. Like, rape still exists in marriage. Or unwanted sexual experiences still exist within marriage. Just because you're married doesn't mean anything goes no matter what. Right? That's not what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so this is a space in which I think a lot of marriages get wounded, hurt, is because of the lack of conversation, and then, I mean, most often, a husband who would force himself on his wife. That's a no-go. That, sh- that, that, that is not something that should happen. Okay. Now, again, that's brokenness that can be healed from and restored in, in the goodness and grace of Jesus. Okay. But it, that's something that also takes a long time to, to work through. And so, I think, yeah, you have to have these conversations. And, and, and especially if it's a regard, regarding, like, frequency or something like that, usually you're going to have a, a higher drive spouse and a lower drive spouse. And so that, that conversation is going to have to be navigated. And the, 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 the spouse with the higher drive, which also, just so you know, it's not always men who have the higher drive. Right? Uh, but if, 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 yeah, you're going to have to learn how to come to a consensus around that. Um, and, and the only way that is going to happen is through a conversation. Um. I would say with this too, there's, a, there's an app um, that I, I have read through, a couple other people have read through and have enjoyed it, it's called Intimately Us, and they have some really good question starters within that, and so I think I would recommend that at the very least for being able to start some conversations, that could be helpful for you if you're, if you're struggling with how to have those conversations. Good, okay, <clears throat> easy one. <laughs> Oh, I think the last question is referring to this question. Is my guess? Oh my goodness. Um. Okay, let's we'll all start here. The Bible doesn't say anything. Um, like there, there's no verse. There's not even there's not even a hint of a verse. in in regards to answering whether or not this may be sinful. So, this, I think, is very complex. I've had this conversation with my wife. I've had this conversation with many other men. And it's it's very complex. And so I'll try to nuance it as best as I possibly can. Um, My initial... Response in the way that I would most often answer is say, I would have a really difficult time saying that it is just straight up sinful. Um, Again, because scriptures speak specifically to it. And also because in this, I mean, you're dealing again with the way in which God has created humanity as sexual beings. I mean, it's. We have to find it to be really intriguing that God, okay, again, bear with me language. Here we go, ready? That God gave women a clitoris, which has no other purpose than sexual pleasure. That ought to blow your minds a little bit. Okay, And so I don't think that God gave these realities to humans for us to ignore or shy away from. Now, so in and of itself, is it sinful? no. The problem is that it is most often accompanied with sin. So, you know, if 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 you're just nonstop fantasizing about some other person than your spouse, that's absolutely sinful. Most often, we know that masturbation is just accompanied by porn. That's obviously sinful, right? Um. Beyond that, we have to wrestle with, like, teenagers, <laughs> right? How does, how does that work itself out, right? Because it's, it's, there's this tension here in which we know that teenagers are going to explore some of these things, and again, we don't want to shame them. We want to help them understand what arousal is, how that works, and how to handle that with self-control, um, and that, that gets complicated. I, I don't have an easy answer for that one. So here's here, here's I think where I would want to go. If you're yeah, man, that's just challenging. <laughs> if you're single, I don't think that I don't I have a hard time personally saying that it's always going to be sinful. And so you're going to have to wrestle through that. And I think I think you'll know. Like I th- I think you'll you'll. Feel your conscience will. Sexual fantasies—that's that's going in a direction that's not going to be helpful. This question, though, often comes up in the context of marriage too. Right? And so, this is a question that, as a husband and wife, again, you'll have to navigate: is is this sinful in the context of of marriage? I'd be willing to bet that most often your spouse would probably be offended. Right? Uh, I think if if this goes to a place where it's always if where it's secret and accompanied with porn then absolutely that's a big problem right? but some of this also is going to come down to I think aspects of like sex drive but again that's the conversation that you need to have with your spouse and say well, what do you think about this sweetheart and how do we navigate this and, and it might be a space in which if you just are able to have the conversation with your spouse your spouse might want to uh, help you out a little bit more and that would be okay for you to have that conversation and come to that space. So um, yeah, good question. Uh, the, 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 the book in The Story of Me, uh, I think it's the fourth book in that series does a really helpful job with answering this in regards to teenagers. So I, I definitely recommend that. Okay, what else? It's almost, no, that clock is wrong. Oh man, it's not one o'clock, praise the Lord. <laughs> I was like, what happened, guys? <laughs> okay, we got, we got time for a few, a few more questions here. Um, sex was always a taboo sort of thing growing up within church. How do we as a church encourage and promote healthy discussions around sex? Yeah, I mean, like we said, I think just we have to learn how to enter into the conversation, you know. Um, I think... One of the most recent books was Sheila Ray Gregoire wrote um, the Great Sex Rescue. I think that's a really good book. Um, I think she does a really good job of of navigating research, really good research, and um, and she addresses a lot of the reasons why we've had a really hard time having this discussion in in the context of the church. And so you don't, you know, I don't agree with everything that she says, and nor do I with anyone that I read. Just so you know, uh, except for the Bible. so I, I think she does a really good job at entering into some of the conversations about how to have the conversation or just kind of even dispelling some of the myths. Like one of the, one of the biggest myths out there is that sex is for men and not for women and that's just a lie. Uh, and, and so just advocating that, she, she does a really good job at navigating like lust and, and porn and how to, to work through that. And then, um, so yeah, I just overall think that that was a really helpful resource. You know, if, if it's something... Um, It could be, you know, if you have a group of people that you want to work through something with, I think this would be a great book to work through, uh, The Great Sex Rescue. Um, You know, there's also other helpful books. Jay Stringer wrote a book called Unashamed, uh, which deals specifically with, um, I mean, porn, but also dealing a lot with, like, sexual fantasy and and just our sexual stories. And so I think that's a really helpful resource um, that I would recommend, and that would enable conversations in, in that case, especially for, for men, I think. Although, I mean, women, too. What's it? Unwanted. What did I say it was? Unashamed. Unwanted. Sorry. Thank you, Mike. What was it one more time? Unwanted. Unwanted by Jay Stringer. Yeah. Um, yeah, otherwise, I just hope that we can start having a conversation. So... Okay, how do you admonish youth to deny sex outside of marriage besides the more heady calls to piety, principle, and perseverance? How do you motivate their hearts? Um, well, you don't. The Holy Spirit does. Like, I, I can't help but think that that's where we have to start. And, and I think that's where we have kind of gotten, again, scared. Like, we feel like it's our job to make sure that the young people don't do all of the things. And so it's kind of like this don't, 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 don't which in turn just results in, in scaring the crap out of them, which is also not helpful, right? And so, again, it's this, this tension and this constant balance where, like, we just have to be engaged. We have to be engaged with the young people. And, and, and we have to know, like, we can't be shocked when they have sexual desires, right? Like, we shouldn't be shocked. We should be like, oh, my gosh, how'd that happen? Because <laughs> you remember being there, <laughs> And so if we, can, if we can embrace that reality, then I think what we begin to do is teach them in regards to like arousal and what does that look like? What does that mean? How do you, how do you then navigate through that with self-control? Right? Um, and so it's, it's a tension of, of un, helping and in, in communicating the, the goodness of, of sex and our sexuality, the way that God has designed it. Uh, and then also I, I think still being firm that... It, that God has created this to be experienced in the context of marriage, right? And, and that, that we do have to, to hold firm to the, the reality of what Scripture says. Like, sexual sin is serious. Sexual sin is different. Like, it's, not, it's not just like a, a level playing ground in regards to sin. Like, sexual sin is kind of uh, it's, it's up there a bit higher than others. Paul says not, not just because it's like a, a higher, worse sin, uh, but because it's against your body, and so I think it's an aspect of, like of, of, of dignity and, and value and worth. If we, can, if we can recapture what it looks like to uh, teach the image of God, I think that goes a long way. Like if someone, if someone would have told me or just be, you know, so the porn issue. Like it was always, I remember in youth group it was always like just don't do it. Don't look. Be pure. Like just like all of these things. And so I wasn't able to handle when when these, you know, um, urges, just realities in life, like, existed and came up. No one taught me how to handle that. And then, furthermore, no one taught me that women were made in the image of God. Like, the only message that I got through high school was that women were to be objectified. Right? And, 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 I, and I, from what I understand, it works the, vice versa as well. Right? And so if we can... I think our responsibility as disciples is how do, we, how do we teach the image of God reality in every single human being, right? I think that, that foundation begins to go a long way, and then we just pray. We just pray, and we have to just entrust it to the Lord. We have to. Um, man, I could keep going on forever. How do you think Typer Kids is doing? <laughs> they're good. She says they're good. You know, a couple weeks ago, they said that I could have gone longer, so... Here we are. I'll remind them. Um, How do we become spiritually intimate when there are extroverted prayers and introverted prayers? Well, that's such an interesting question. I I would assume that that means that that there's one person who likes to pray more vocally and one that prays less vocally. Um, I, I think my initial thought here is just don't make too big a deal of it. Like this, it's interesting how much like spiritual pressure we can put into our marriages, and and without understanding where our spouse may be in 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 that. And so, if you have a a spouse who's less um, desiring to pray out loud, that's that's okay, that's okay. And at the same time, though, I think a a good like bond of emotional intimacy would be able to would enable you to humbly kind of draw that out too, and to ask like, hey, when we pray together. Um, I noticed that you never want to pray out loud with me. Why is that? And then if you're growing, maturing in emotional intelligence, emotional health, uh, you'll be able to ask that question in a way that is helpful and you'll be able to respond non-defensively as well and, and to try to navigate that conversation. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I would, not, I would not push or pressure that too, too much. I think it's interesting the amount of like, Damage that can be done when we don't think our spouse is as close to God as we ourselves are. Do with that what you want. Okay, if my husband is in unrepentant sin and isn't giving his whole self, how do I give of myself sexually? Hmm. I mean, first off, I would just say, I'm sorry. Um, uh, I would, I would, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, part of me wants to say, I don't know that you have to. Uh, Like if if your husband is persisting in unrepentant sin uh, and and, I mean my assumption would be like porn or something like that. Um, You know I I think that would be a space where I'd hope that you could encourage I'm sure you've done this but encourage your husband to go and talk to some other people. Um, and then I would encourage you also to talk with someone I I think that's a space of of how do we navigate this in the context of community it's hard to answer that without specifics to be honest Um, and I I just would love to acknowledge that's complicated and if you would love to if you'd like to come and ask me or my wife or something we would love to help navigate that so i'm sorry okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna do two more guys I just two more dang i think sometimes we can elevate marriage and sex as a utopian idea that is ultimately harmful how do we limit ourselves from idolizing marriage and sex yeah i mean absolutely we idolize it we elevate it um we think it's going to satisfy every single need and want um you know, keeping it in that space is what makes it harmful. Um, I think that, again, this is we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to put sex and marriage in its proper space. Um, you know, and it, and it might be that we all have to navigate this at some point in time in our, our lives and in our marriage. I know that I know that I have. I mean, I know that I've had... Uh, I mean, I think early on in marriage, it was very much like an idolization of my marriage, idolization of my wife, and an idolization of sex in our marriage. And it just, it's just crushing. Like, that's all that there is to it. And, and it just leads to brokenness. But it's years and years of staying in the game, and, and years and years of navigating through these questions uh, that I think helps us to then put it into its proper space. Um, and it just takes time and humility and the Holy Spirit in us. So... Yeah, okay. Last one is a doozy. After infidelity, how do you repair intimacy and reintroduce trust in sexuality? Um, wow, patiently and prayerfully, and in community. I, I I think if if we really believe as followers of Jesus that He can and does redeem and restore all things then I think that we can enter into this space. You know, um, You know my own, my own story is with, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but with just infidelity in my parents' marriage on a number of occasions. And they're still married, and I don't know how. I don't know. Uh, but I've miraculously seen it work itself out. Um, and I think that that's going to, it's probably going to look, I know it's going to look different for, for each person who might have this experience. And it's going to take a lot of, oh, just lots of time, lots of prayer, lots of conversation, lots of help, lots of help. You know, I, I, maybe if I could just encourage us in anything, like community really matters in this. Um, because... Again, there, there tends to be a lot, just heavy amounts of guilt and shame around this to where we, we feel like this is just a private conversation, and I would just love to get this out of a private conversation. Um, you know, and so I know that you know, I can speak for myself and for Abby. You're not gonna embarrass us or shock us with any questions that you might have. Like if you're <laughs> and so I would encourage, I know that that's the same with uh, John and Kim, with Will and Rochelle, Luke and Callie. Like, I know that you can go, Glenn, where did he go? I, there he is. (laughs) I know that you can come to the elders and their wives and ask them questions and they're not gonna, they're not gonna shy away or we're not gonna be shocked or we're not gonna like, be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're thinking this or like, we we want to be able to enter into and have these conversations and so, um, yeah, again, I think that, that goes just, prayer, power of the Holy Spirit, community, lots of conversation and lots of time. It just takes time. To rebuild trust with, with something like that. So okay. Okay, fine. As a single person who has a past, I just don't know what intimacy should look like in dating or if it should just be friendship, any advice. <coughs> um, I think I think that goes back to cultivating same sex friendships. I mean, that's. I think that's the base answer there for us. Is like we talked about last week. We have to recover like the beauty of good friendships, and understanding that, that intimacy is not sex, and sex is not intimacy. Like you can you can have you can you can you can go through the act of sex and not be intimate. And, and, and again, I think that's an, a reality that most of us have probably experienced. And so. Intimacy is, is, is deeper than that. And, and so scripture gives us beautiful pictures of, of intimacy. Again, Jesus being a primary example there, right? In his singleness, Jesus experienced perfect intimacy with the Father, uh, and Jesus had intimacy with, with his close friends. David and Jonathan, again, are great examples of, of what intimacy in the context of friendship might look like. And so I think this is where our culture has so over sexualized everything. And has just wanted to say that, like, that, that sex is the way for you to experience intimacy. And it's, it's just not the only way. And so that's, again, that's like a, a work that has to be done in our hearts and it has to be done in our minds. And I, I think that's where we, we have to see our minds shaped around the truth of Scripture and who God is, uh, embracing the image in humans. Um, and then within that, I think we are able to experience intimacy in the context of of Friendships. Intimacy does not have to culminate in sex. It does not. Good? Yeah. All right, let me pray. Father, I am thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for the time that we had to work through these questions. Um, I'm just thankful for a bold church who's willing to ask these questions. And I pray that um, though there's certainly um, maybe more questions than answers now, um, I pray that this would spark the conversation for us in the context of community and that, um, that there would be safety, that, that people would feel safe and that they would know that we, we want to hear their stories and we want to help them navigate through these things, um, whether it be good or bad or, or scary or whatever it may be. Um, I just I pray for us as a church to, to engage this conversation uh, in the context of marriage, in the context of singleness uh, for the sake of our kids um, and that we, would, that we would reflect your glory in your image more and more as we do so. Um, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us patience, uh, give us your Holy Spirit uh, that we may walk in the ways of Jesus. It's in his good name that we pray, amen.